Good morning. My name is Tad Anderson. I am one of the pastors here at the Hub City Church, and uh, once again, we, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning. And uh, before we get into the Word, which we will do, just want to say a few things, a few announcements. Uh, the first thing is, man, hey, thanks to all who came out to um, the Backyard Movie Night. Uh, the, the popcorn was amazing. The movie was great, Super Mario Brothers, awesome, everything I had hoped. Um, I had way too many Sour Patch Kids, which was fun, but it was hot, so never again, okay? Um, <laughs> any Hub City Church movie night henceforth will be in the spring or the fall, okay? Like, as authoritative as it can be without putting it in the bylaws, all right? Like, we're not doing that in July again, okay. Um, but anyway, it, it was a good time. We had some, you know, it was a good time of fellowship and just hanging out together, enjoying each other's company and eating candy and watching the movies. So that was cool. Um, the next thing, that's, which is kind of like a real announcement you should listen to, um, Beach Baptisms is coming up. That's kind of the way that we, um, we kind of end our summer schedule every single year. It's our, one of our favorite things to do as a church family. Um, it's gonna be on Sunday, August 6th at 4 p.m. at Henderson Beach State Park. Um, and so just a few things. Uh, we say 4 p.m. because we like to kind of like all get there um, with plenty of time to set up. You have to kind of find a pavilion that's going to work for, you know, the 100 plus people that are, uh, are going to show up, you know. Um, and uh, we will do baptisms around 5 p.m. Uh, so it would really benefit you, especially in the summertime, to like get over that bridge you know, um, by about 4 p.m. or so, just so you're there in time and you don't miss um, important parts of the celebration. That's why we said it a little earlier like that, even though we're not bapti uh, baptizing until 5. So um, another important thing is uh, the church is going to cover, you know, uh, entree, which is burgers, hot dogs, all the condiments, all those, you know, staple things. Uh, but there is a food sign-up sheet that will be at the connection desk on your way out. Please sign up uh, because once again, it's a, it's a pretty big event and uh, we need to kind of have all hands on deck in regards to preparing food and bringing good things to eat together and to share. So um, you'll see that list and you can, you know, there'll be different, different things you can, uh, sides, desserts, drinks, all that's like kind of lined out. And so uh, please sign up there. Let us know what you're able to bring and we would appreciate that potluck style. Uh, so, so yeah, please do that. You've got a couple weeks, I guess, to do that. So just make sure that you do that sometime soon. And uh, the last uh, thing I'll say is many have been asking me about uh, a membership class. We do do membership classes uh, here, and so we'll, we'll start another one uh, around September time frame. So, um, so just, if, just be looking out on social media, the app, and any communications that we put out. We'll obviously announce it from the pulpit uh, and all of that, and so but some, sometime in September we'll get it on, on the calendar. So um, don't, don't worry about not being able to get in by the end of the year. We'll have a, another membership class. And uh, another thing that's important for you to know is that we try to do like a uh, kind of a mid-year members meeting. Uh, it's not really truly mid-year, but it feels like mid-year because summer ends and we're going into fall and uh, winter. And so we'll do a we'll do a business meeting. Um, and we'll kind of talk about um, how this year is going so far, how we're doing in regards to our um, spiritual and financial goals and all of that kind of, um, yeah, just so you can know all that information if you're a member here. Uh, also, if you're not yet a member, 
Um, but you want to come to that meeting because you'd like to see uh, our budget and kind of how we do all those things, please, you are welcome to come to that. We are fully transparent about all those things and uh, always will be. So, um, so please come to that if you would like to, if you're, if you're a member, but also if you're interested in becoming a member, we, we invite you to that. So um, the, the final thing, sorry, I almost forgot this, is there's a meeting after service today. It's if you want to serve in the production team or in the band. So uh, you didn't have to sign up for that. But if you want to do that and you want to serve in one of those teams, please stay after service. It'll be right here um, in this room. And we would love for you to uh, jump into serving with us. Um, Also, if you're just on one of those teams, it'd be good for you to hang around and uh, listen to the vision and uh, because we are still working out some of those things. So please hang out if you can, uh, if you're on one of those teams as well. All right. Did I get it all? I think that's it, right? Okay. All right. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning again uh, in this series that we've titled Life Together in Christ. The first half of the letter of Ephesians is really um, gospel doctrine. The back half of the letter is uh, gospel culture, right? So um, applying gospel doctrine for individuals, families, churches who are doing life together in Christ. We've, uh, um, we've officially entered the second half of the letter. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. And we are going to be in verses 7 through 16 of chapter 4. No, you're not Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. That's the same set of verses from last week. Um, But there's just a lot there, and so we decided to spend an extra week unpacking it and talking about it. So um, really, just to kind of recap the past couple of weeks, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 4, it kind of has three pieces, right? So two weeks ago, we discussed the priority of uh, unity as a church family and being united together by our doctrinal beliefs that give us more in common uh, than any of our differences. The, then last week we discussed the beauty of diversity and how God has ordained underneath our gospel unity for us to all have different backgrounds and, and walks of life, but also uh, our different spiritual gifts. Um, as the body of Christ, we're all different uh, parts, and so we have different strengths and wirings spiritually that we are to press into for the good of the whole church. And now today, this message is titled, The Goal of Maturity, because that's what our unity and diversity are for, our individual and collective growth in likeness. So uh, let's go ahead, as always, let's read our, our passage, and then let's ask for the Lord's help in wrapping our minds around it as we begin. Ephesians 4, uh, let's pick it up in verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's Jesus, okay? Um, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up 
in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you are gracious, and you are God. For those three aspects of your divine nature, we are so grateful that and that you saw fit in your kindness to make a way for your sinful and rebellious image bearers to be made right again, not based on anything that we have done or ever could do, but through the atoning work of your son Jesus in the gospel. And we thank you that the gospel of our salvation not only saves us from our sin and saves us into a relationship with you, but it saves us into your family of redeemed image bearers, just like us, the church. Thank you for the unity we have in that gospel foundation, and thank you for how you have made each of us different from one another so that uh, we would be able to depend on one another for the grace we need to grow into spiritual maturity. God, my, my, my prayer this morning is that we would grasp from your word that the spiritual gifts you have sovereignly distributed to us are ultimately not about showcasing us, but that they are about glorifying you and serving one another. God, would worldly, prideful individualism that desires to boast in self and personal accomplishment, and that would even attempt to subtly take the spotlight off of Christ for our own vainglory, would that be put to death in all of us as we understand this passage? God, regardless of how public our gifting or how mature we may perceive ourselves to be, would we be humbled before you, Jesus? The one who, though he was abundantly rich in every spiritual gift, stooped down even to wash the feet of his people who had rejected him. And would we take it to heart that because you came not to be served, but to serve, that that should be our desire as well in our relationships with our brothers and sisters who we are united to in one body. We love you, Lord. Please do this in us by your spirit, for your glory and our joy. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, this past year, my, my oldest son, Graham, he turned 10. Some of you know. Um, and, and because he had really started to understand and be able to articulate the gospel on his own, uh, his need for it, we baptized him last summer at Beach Baptisms. And that's a big step, right? You know, I really do just feel like it was yesterday. I was holding him in my arms for the first time in the hospital. Uh, but now he's going into fifth grade. This summer, he went to a uh, a week-long overnight camp for the first time. You know, he sometimes, it's kind of crazy, like he wants to go hang out in his room and listen to Christian rap, you know? Uh, uh, and one of my favorite things, I mean, if it's KB, I'm good with it, you know, like, um, or Shylan or whatever. But anyway, um, one of my favorite things is that he started to be able to do the dishes on his own. It's nice to not only have uh, a little brother in Christ, but to have a teammate on the dish crew for once. Uh, and in one sense, while it does feel a little sad because it feels, it feels like that all happened so fast, 
Um, it's also a good thing that he's growing up, considering the alternative of him not developing physically and mentally as, as he ought. Um, and so it's, it's a sign of, of health for kids to grow up. And uh, the same is true for Christians. In 1 Peter, we're told, like spiritual infants, to drink the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Uh, but it says to do so that by it we would grow up into salvation. And this is uh, one of the few passages that, that help us uh, to see clearly that, that salvation is not only an event that happens once when we first believe the gospel, okay, but that salvation is a process that continues on throughout our entire lives. We've been saved, we are being saved, and ultimately, we will be saved fully and finally at the return of Christ. Uh, you know, Amy and I have some old t-shirts that we've passed to our kids who like to wear them as pajamas. Uh, and it's kind of fun and uh, wild to watch year after year as they start to they fill out the shirt more and more, right? As they grow, you know, that starts out really cute, you know, like it looks like a big dress or something, you know, like that they're wearing. Um, but the more they grow, they, they actually fit. The shirt starts to look like it fits, and um, that's what salvation is like. At first, it almost seems too big for us, right? When we first start following Jesus and we're, we're still kind of a mess, but in time, if we are faithful and don't stop abiding in Him, while we'll never be perfect this side of eternity, salvation does start to look more like it fits because our righteousness is no longer just positional, but it becomes practical, Right? We're, we're truly walking it out in greater degrees of likeness to Christ. Okay? And interestingly, this passage in Ephesians 4 tells us that this process of growing up spiritually is closely tied to our unique spiritual gifts. Um, you see, just, just to review, okay, we talked about this some last week, and in verses 7 through 10, <clears throat> Paul is saying that when Christ ascended to heaven, he distributed to his people various aspects of his own divine character, communicable attributes, if you will, qualities that were observable in his divine human nature that we are now able to take on and possess ourselves when we receive the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so this is what spiritual gifts are. And we also see and the way spiritual gifts are to be used um, within um, the, the context of the local church are, are unique and diverse gifts make us like members of a body that have to fit together rightly uh, and, and work in the appropriate ways uh, in order for the entirety of the body, um, that is Christ's body, to be effective. Right? We've got to be connected together. We all got to be working the right way for the whole body to be effective, okay? And so uh, we said that these gifts um, that are mentioned in our passage, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, um, these are the leadership gifts that involve speaking um, and that they're important, but they do not represent anywhere near all of the gifts. And so we see that in passages like in, like in Romans 12, you know, Romans 12 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith 
that God has assigned. For Get this part. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So while someone like me um, you know, might have a, a teaching gift, you know, some have the gift of, of hospitality that makes people feel welcome and, and valued. Some have the gift of mercy that makes hurting people feel comforted and cared for. Some have the gift of service, which just means you know, they love to dig down and, and get stuff done right, for their church family or administration, for those who are very organized and help give order to things within the body, or discernment for those who are able to give wise insight into various situations, right, and so on and so forth. Many interpreters of these passages on spiritual gifts believe that the list that Paul gives are very much meant to be illustrative, not exhaustive, okay? So, so there could be more gifts than we even see in Scripture as the Spirit empowers the work of ministry or different combinations of gifts as is necessary within each body, okay? But uh, anyway, with all that said, I told you that this week we would get into how you determine what gift you have, okay? Um, so here is what I think we see when we consider verses 11 through 16 about the goal of a spiritually mature church. Growth in spiritual maturity is both the pathway to discovering and the end goal of exercising spiritual gifts, Growth in spiritual maturity is both the pathway to discovering and the end goal of exercising spiritual gifts. In other words, we should not primarily be pursuing spiritual giftedness. We should not primarily be pursuing spiritual giftedness. We should be primarily pursuing spiritual maturity because spiritual maturity is what will give way to the discovery and usage of our gifts, not the other way around. Not the other way around. Uh, we touched on this previously, but when giftedness is pursued over maturity, a culture of pride is the result. Okay, And a culture of pride is not a mature and Christ-like culture. Okay. Um, in a culture where giftedness is placed above maturity, all kinds of dysfunction and sin will follow. Which is actually what we see Paul saying about the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, Paul says, was a gifted church, but they're, prim they're primarily not known for that, are they? <laughs> if you're a student of the Bible, then you know what the Corinthian church was known for, don't you? Division, lawsuits, gross sexual immorality, pagan idolatry, a slowness towards financial generosity, though they were wealthy, and a class-based discrimination, to name a few. The Corinthian church, though they were gifted, was known for, in a word, immaturity immaturity. So if you desire 
to be someone who identifies and mobilizes their spiritual gifts, that's good. That's good. You should desire that. Okay? But here's how. Pursue spiritual maturity. Pursue spiritual maturity. That's the biblical pathway. Okay? I'm not knocking spiritual gifts tests, okay? Or, you know, uh, spiritualized kind of personality tests. You know, those can be helpful, okay? But they're not authoritative, okay? And, and, and the, the danger is, I mean, so on one hand, they can be helpful to, you know, giving clarity to younger believers about well, what might I be gifted in? Sure, that's a good thing. But our society, our culture is engulfed in a kind of individualism, that if we use those spiritual gifts tests to you know, be an authority in our life, um, then, then really what we wind up doing is not saying, hey, how can I serve my church? But we say, here's what I'll do to serve my church, and that only, right? <laughs> here's what I am. Here's my spiritual gift. So church, you let me do that thing or I'll go find somewhere else where I can do that thing. This is not the heart of Christ, right? <laughs> Christ came to do a really important thing. He also washed people's feet, right? So that's a tangent. All right, let me get back to my notes. So, um, so if you desire to be someone who identifies and mobilizes their spiritual gifts, that's good. Here's how. Pursue spiritual maturity because that is the biblical pathway. And we'll, we'll get to what this looks like practically toward the end. Uh, but the first step of spiritual maturity as it pertains to the usage of spiritual gifts is this, get connected to a body. Get connected to a body, okay? A hand is of no use if it's disconnected from an arm that's connected to a torso, is connected to a head, and preferably other limbs too. If I'm walking down the street and I find a pin, I'm like, ooh, a pin, you know? It's like, I find a hand, I'm like, ah, a hand, you know? Like, so... <laughs> Hands should be connected to a body, right? So the head, okay, the head, our text tells us, is Christ. If you're not connected to Christ, then what is this all about? What is this even all about? That's a whole nother conversation. Though sadly, I think there are some people who wind up trying to simulate spiritual giftedness who are actually not even saved. Maybe there's a lot of head knowledge of Bible verses and, and theology, right? Or a lot of church experience or a lot of busyness piling up more and more good works. But behind that religious facade, there's no genuine relationship with Christ, it's all just spiritual jargon and behavior modification in the flesh motivated by pride. So um, if you're here and you feel concerned that, that maybe, maybe you're someone who's been religious for, for a long time, but you don't really know what it's like. If you're honest, you, you don't really know what it's like to have a true abiding relationship with Jesus. Can I just tell you, there's no shame in that realization. 
That is a God-given realization. We would love to talk with you about that and help you get the most important thing, which is your salvation, settled. Because without that, there's no point in even talking about spiritual gifts. There's no point in it. Don't, what I'm saying is, don't get the cart before the horse, okay? We are saved by what Jesus has done. That's it. We're saved by what Jesus has done. And only after we receive the gift of free grace in Christ can we begin to work to start building up his church via the usage of spiritual gifts. Okay. All right. But next, not only is spiritual maturation the pathway to discovering our gifts, it's also the end goal of exercising spiritual gifts. Okay, um, I, I know it's hard to tell, but I, you know, I used to be pretty into working out um, some number of years ago. Um, anyway, and uh, you know, like a lot of people who are really into fitness, uh, it was all about getting my whole body into the best shape that I could. Um, I was a little more into like the functional training than you know, rather than bodybuilding. So like box jumps and burpees and pull-ups and terrible, all that terrible stuff, right? Um, but but lifting weights too, and, and I always thought that one of the funniest gym phenomenons was the guy who like asp- clearly aspired to have you know, like the chest and arms of Arnold, right? But like, but, like the legs of like Pee Wee Herman, you know? <laughs> and so like if, if that guy, if that guy would have done some research on human physiology, he may have discovered, man, God's design is so brilliant, isn't it? God's design is so brilliant. Leg workouts actually produce high amounts of growth hormones and testosterone that fuel the growth of the other smaller muscle groups. And so I say that to say that the end goal of spiritual maturity, um, or this end goal of spiritual maturity that spiritual gifts are meant to produce, it's not just individual maturity. It's collective maturity. Paul says that when all the members are joined together and working properly in their unique gifts, it builds up and makes the whole body grow because they work together to serve one another and mature each other together. And so the speaking and teaching gifts are, you know, they're kind of like the legs in this sense because, you know, as the teachers of the body are using their equipping functionality, speaking the truth in love, the other members tend to see greater growth in their functions as well. Also, just like when someone works out their, their back muscles, right? They're, they're also working out their biceps. They're also working out their forearms, right? And, and so on and so forth, right? So all the members benefit when all of the other members are exercising their gifts. All the members benefit when all the other members are exercising their gifts. So hopefully you get the point. The place where God has ordained for growth and spiritual maturity to happen is in conjunction with the body. And the maturation of each individual member contributes to the growing up of the whole. Paul expresses this in Colossians 1 as he's talking about uh, the vigorous use of his apostolic gifting. He says in Colossians 1, he says, Him we proclaim... 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. He's saying that he's doing what he's doing, teaching and preaching and writing to the churches, which is all part of his gifting and ministry as an apostle, in order that he might serve the church so that all of the members might grow up to be mature in their collective identity as Christians, people who are living new lives in Christ. So um, I hope that's helpful to you in regards to how we go about finding our spiritual gifts. It's inseparable from our connectedness to the body. It's inseparable from our connectedness to the body. One final word on this. For many of us, the Hub City Church is not our first church. And so if you've come from another church body where perhaps you've already discovered some of your giftings, your gifting is administration or service or hospitality or shepherding or evangelism, et cetera, chances are, chances are that's going to be the gifting that the Lord uses in this church body as well. But even still, it's crucial that you get connected to the body so that you can get into joint where you fit, okay? If, if you have the gift of teaching, great. That's great. Our elders teach, our community group leaders teach, our kids ministry leaders teach, our student ministry leaders teach, our men's and women's ministry leaders teach. Involve, that involves teaching, you know? So, so only when you get connected and start building relationships within this body will it become apparent where and how you ought to be using your gifts here and now, okay? But next, since spiritual maturity is really the end goal of the usage of our gifts, what is spiritual maturity? What is spiritual maturity? I think our text gives us some hints. Paul says that the church members are to be equipped for the ministry by the leaders of the church. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into, in every way into him who's the head, into Christ. So I think from these verses we can see that spiritual maturity is characterized by doctrinal and relational stability. That is, love for Jesus and his people expressed through a life of ministry. Okay. That's my definition for, for spiritual maturity. Doctrinal and re relational stability, that is, love for Jesus and his people expressed in a life of ministry. So, so here's the thing, okay? Our world is full of lies. Do you know that? Our world is full of lies, more and more every day. Here are a few that you'll hear out there. Maybe you've heard some of these. Here's the first one. Love is love. Here's another one. You can be anyone or anything that you feel like being. Okay. Um, here's another one. Pregnancy 
It's just the creation of a clump of cells. There's no baby till birth. Here's another one. You should follow your heart. How about this one? If you're unhappy, someone else must be to blame. (laughs) How about this one? The color of your skin defines you. How about this one? Only you know you best. (laughs) How about this? All religions are really the same. What really matters is just that you have faith. Lies. Every one of these. Lies. Love is not love. God is love. You cannot be whoever you want. God made you who you are. Right? Pregnancy is the miraculous creation of a new life at the moment of conception. Okay? Um, You should not follow your heart. It's sinful and it will lead you astray. You should follow Jesus. Um, If you're unhappy, it might be your own fault. The color of your skin is beautiful, but it does not define you. You're an image bearer of God. That's what defines you. Okay? Only God knows you best. And sometimes people who love you and are close to you know you better than you do. And all religions are not the same. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through faith in him. And so I I say all this to say, if you want to be able to identify and reject the unbiblical lies of our culture that are constantly being spewed at you. Aren't all these being spewed at you? Instead of absorbing them and being conformed to them, in the regular meetings of the body of Christ, the church, this is the God-ordained context where you are going to grow up out of spiritual childhood where you would believe everything that you hear and instead start to have doctrinal stability. Okay, That is regular attendance on Sundays, sitting under the preached word of God, regular participation in biblical community where you're loved and encouraged by other members, other believers to trust the word in your daily life. In men's and women's ministries where you'll be exhorted and instructed in what the life of a godly man or woman looks like, respectively, And just in one-on-one relationships where discipleship and accountability is the objective, okay? It's frequent commitment to these things where you are going to be hearing the truth spoken in love and grow to know what you believe about all facets of life in light of the gospel, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3 Paul says this, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Okay, The church of Jesus Christ is the outpost of God's kingdom in a dry and weary land. Okay. The church is home base. 
in the raging war of sin and perversion that's continuing to rage until the return of Christ, okay? So the church is is people, but the gathering of the people of God is where you come to be refreshed by and reminded of and strengthened in the truth, in the truth, okay? So that even though you're hearing and being tempted to believe lies every day out in the world, you're actually growing more and more sure of what you know to be true about who God is and how you are to live your life in view of him and what he has done for you in Jesus. As you do that, right, your love for and commitment to Jesus and his people is galvanized, right? So that's that's how doctrinal stability happens and is built in the context of the church. But also in the church, we grow into the maturity of relational stability, of relational stability. As you're joined together with the other members of the body, you learn how to love people who are different than you and forgive people who hurt you and serve people who need you and ultimately walk with a whole group of people who have the same exact calling as you. 1 Peter 2.9 says of the church, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Revelation 1 reiterates this. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and get this, and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. So we have become together a kingdom of priests who are called to a life of ministry. That's what priests do. Okay. Ministry to one another within the church, but also to the world, to a world in darkness that needs the light of the gospel from us. And as we dig down into that calling together and put our roots down deep into a local body of believers where we're all intertwined together, all our roots are intertwined together, that's how we reach collective spiritual maturity. Okay. Christian author Greg Kokel said, do you know what the measure of spiritual maturity is in the scriptures? It's not the display of spiritual emotion or even the display of spiritual gifts, but the manifestation of spiritual fruit. It's love. Love. Love for Jesus and people, for sound doctrine and lifelong committed dependent relationship with other believers. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. So uh, as we close, as um, Pastor Tristan said uh, in the offering talk, I want to give you six practical measures for maturing disciples who are living a life of ministry and love for Jesus and his people. Recently, we had a sample group of our body, uh, some young, some old, some male, some female, some leaders, some lay people, some married, some single, just a representation of our whole church body. And we had a handful of meetings to kind of start to refine our vision 
documents as a church. And, and these are some of the things that we ultimately landed on that we believe, okay, we believe, if you will do these six things consistently, okay, if you'll do these six things consistently, that you'll have a baseline spiritual maturity, but also these things will be the means through which you can exercise your gifts and continue to grow into greater degrees of spiritual maturity. All right, let's talk about them. Six measures for maturing disciples. The first one we touched on today already. Uh, we really say it every week in some way or another, but it's this. It's very simple, okay? <clears throat> Commit to meeting often in biblical community. Commit to meeting often in biblical community. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, <clears throat> as you see the day drawing near, the, the point of these verses is clear. Our togetherness in community is not supposed to be seen like a class that we attend for a little while, or just like a, an occasional pick-me-up, you know? This one, you need a jolt, like, oh, man, I'm tired this afternoon. You have a monster from the gas station. also need to go to community groups so I can feel a little better about myself. Like, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? Paul says, as the return of Jesus, sorry, not Paul, actually. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Don't want you to think I'm saying it's Paul. Anyway, okay, that's a whole other story. Ask me later. All right, <laughs> as the return of Jesus gets closer, our connectedness with one another displayed through our being together should become more frequent. More frequent. So you want to use your gifts? Get connected to a community of believers. Every week you'll find brothers and sisters in need of your knowledge or your hospitality or discernment or mercy and care. Like, like if you get down into the the, the nitty-gritty things of life with God's people. Some of y'all are scared of this, man. That's why you're not in community yet, and you come here every Sunday. I wonder where that came from. Week in and week out, though, if you'll do it, you'll see that, that just like you, they have good days and they have bad days. Days where they're a strong encouragement to you, and days where they drag themselves in through the door. It's all they can do to get there and be encouraged by you. Every one of us, man. Every one of us. Maturing disciples commit. They commit to meeting often in biblical community. Because they know they need it. And they know that others need them too so that we can all finish the race together, okay? That's number one. Here's a second one. Maturing disciples serve their church family consistently, okay? They serve their church family consistently. 1 Peter 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I'm not going to spend long on this one, but listen, if, if you've been attending here for a while, and, and 
you think you want to make this your home church, man, jump in and serve with us. Jump in and serve with us. Serve in kids' ministry where 90 minutes every few weeks can make an eternal impact in the lives of our kids who we're teaching the gospel to. Serve on our hospitality team. That team is responsible for so many of the people who are here today getting plugged in. Okay, that team is so important. They, they, they learn people's names and they invite them into community with us and they, they make them feel welcome and valued here. You can do that for others. You can do that for others. If you have a musical talent, the band needs more members. Our band is super talented. They're great, but they'd like to have more members in that band. You know, so, uh, they, they work hard to lead us in worship every week. So if you're talented in that, then man, what are you waiting for? Get to the meeting after service today. The production team is behind the scenes, right? Our services can't run without them. Now, let me tell you something else. These Sunday morning teams, okay, these Sunday morning teams are just the beginning of serving. They're not the end-all, be-all of serving. They're the beginning of serving, okay? This church... <laughs> You got to get in here to know this, okay? You're not going to know this from attending a Sunday morning service, okay? This church family watches each other's kids for date nights and doctor's appointments. They give each other gift cards, right? When others are going through a rough time financially, they come over late at night and they sit together and talk with one another and pray together when it's needed most. They make each other meals when a mom has a, a new baby or someone loses a loved one, right? They go out in the community together. They give meals and water and clothing and all kinds of things for the sake of sharing the gospel, okay? Serving happens in all kinds of ways in this body. Sunday morning teams are the beginning, but there's all kinds of other ways, more organic than that, happening all the time. This is a critical measure we see in the lives of maturing disciples. They serve each other. They serve each other and with each other. Also, maturing disciples give cheerfully and regularly to the mission of the church. Tristan already said this. Uh, thanks, Tristan. Sometimes, um, I'm just going to say it, sometimes people feel like talking about money is touchy in churches. Um, we don't care. We don't, we don't care. It's obvious we don't care. We do it every week. <laughs> we do it every week because, not because we're flipping about money or we just want more and more money. Like, no, because our mission takes money. The mission takes money. It takes all of us being generous together and keeping with our income to do all that we do together, right? We, we send tens of thousands of dollars away every year for church planting and for global missions efforts because uh, we just don't want to see um, the church flourish in Crestview. We want to see it flourish in the hard areas of the world where people uh, have never even had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. That's happening out there in the world. And when you give here, your money is helping it happen. I just got asked, by the cashier at Staples the other day, <laughs> I wanted to give $5 for the support of local schools. And I felt bad. I said, no thanks. 
What I meant was, no thanks. I'd actually like to give a lot more than $5. And I do through my church who gives over $1,000 a meal or $1,000 a year just to provide meals for elementary school aged kids and food insufficient homes. Right? And so, and we do all of this with joy because we know we're never going to regret being generous in the end. And that our Heavenly Father is going to make sure that whatever we give away, we don't miss it. We're going to have enough left over at the end to live. Okay? It says it in 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know what that means? If you give, if you take the risk to give generously through your church, God's going to keep providing for you. It's going to be okay. God promises that right there. He promises that. Also, here's the next one. Maturing disciples engage in ongoing opportunities for spiritual growth. This is what our men's and women's ministries are, are, are aimed at, um, as we've already discussed. But also, let me just throw this out there. If you find yourself hungry to grow, if you find yourself hungry to grow, hungry to know more about Jesus, hungry to learn more about how you can be a faithful disciple, come talk to me. <laughs> come talk to me. Come talk to Jason. Come talk to Matt or Tristan or David or Josh or, or any of our leaders, okay? Um, there's always more to learn, and we will gladly help you find the right wells that you can drink from, and we'll walk with you as you do that, okay? Um, a lot of times, people with this kind of extra drive wind up being leaders in the church in some capacity or another. And if you feel like that's something the Lord's placed on your heart, like you're hungry, you're hungry to learn, you're hungry to know more, we want to talk to you about that. We want to help you with that. We don't want to leave you hungry. <laughs> we can feed you from a fire hydrant. Like there's a lot of, like there's a lot. So we'll do it to the degree that you need it. Second Timothy 2 says, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We strive to do that here through discipleship. Next, uh, maturing disciples lead their family to love and follow Jesus. Our families are our first ministries. There's, um, there is no elaboration on spiritual maturity in scripture that doesn't involve loving your spouse well and raising your kids and the knowledge of the gospel that you yourself have. Actually, there's some pretty strong words for people who <laughs> claim to be Christians and don't do those things, right? Um, and so that's why our kids' ministry vision, it's, it's not to lead kids to believe the gospel, abide in Christ, obey the word. That's not our vision for kids' ministry. It's to partner with parents to lead their kids to believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word. It's, it's our responsibility as parents to disciple our children. And what you'll find is that um, discipling your children, this is a little um, discipleship hack here, discipling your children will grow you in your understanding of what it's like to disciple adults as well. Actually, not that different a lot of times. You know, a lot of times you're discipling adults, you're like, you didn't learn this as a kid. That's, that's, that's what you realize, right? So you should disciple your kids. Um, 
They're a lot more honest, too. They don't hide things as much as adults. They don't know how. But anyway, Deuteronomy 6 (laughs) says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So our children are our legacy. Mature disciples know that if they don't prioritize being the church, their kids won't either, right? At least not from their parents. Our kids are really good. You have kids, you know this. Our kids are really good at figuring us out and seeing what's really, truly important to us. And so we should be striving to show them that Jesus and his people are at the top of the list and that his mission is really what our life is all about. Your kids know. (laughs) Maybe people in this room don't know, but your kids know what's really important to you. And so we should make it Jesus. If it is Jesus, then we should make it Jesus, which leads to our final measure. Maturing disciples live a sent life of making more disciples. Acts 1.8, Jesus famously says to his disciples and thus to us by proxy, um, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And you're like, we're not there. And to the end of the earth. There we are. Okay. So there we are. So uh, this could really be its own sermon And actually it was back in January, if you want to go back and get a refresh on this. But the reality is, um, one of the absolute most important aspects of maturing disciples is like maturing people in general, they reproduce. Just like healthy people reproduce, healthy disciples reproduce. They pass on their faith DNA by sharing the gospel with others and then walking with those others and what it means to abide in and obey our Lord Jesus. So the end goal of spiritual gifts. If you fell asleep, wake up. Here's the summary, okay? Here's a 30-second sermon clip here. So the end goal of spiritual gifts is Christ-like maturity. If you want to figure out how you are gifted to build up the body of Christ, start by pressing in to the tried and true measures of spiritual maturity. Commit, serve, give, engage, lead, and live sent. Those are the ways. This is the pathway, if you will. Get on the pathway. You'll find your gifts, and ultimately, you'll grow up in Christ along with the rest of the body. Let's pray. Father, your word is so good and so true. We thank you for it, and we thank you for the great clarity that it brings to our lives. God, thank you that you didn't just give us this amazing gospel and all these huge promises and theological things and then leave us to try to figure out what it means. God, you have, you've told us what it means. Your word is sufficient. It's inerrant. It has all that we need for a life of godliness. 
And so, God, I just pray for the men and women in this room, and God, even myself included, Lord, that we wouldn't absorb the cultural desire for prideful individualism and think of our spiritual gifts of ways that we can exalt ourselves in a church body. But God, that we would all just plug in and and dig down and commit to this church family together in all the ways that we know are right and that we would serve. And through that serving, God, that you would empower us, show us what our spiritual gifts are, that we might use them for the benefit of the whole church that we all together might grow up into you, Jesus, the head, into full spiritual manhood. That we might be a, a faithful witness to the community around us of what you are really like, Jesus. That's what we want. We love you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.